Like the mountain in the soil in the earth Breaking through the rocks Growing wild and tall Till the buds begin to pop Hey, this is Ryan Heron and Amanda Breeze here to talk about all the fun stuff about one of our favorite plants, cannabis. Stick with us for updates on the industry, the most dank herb, and explorations of flavor, aroma, and effects. Hey, Amanda, how's it going today? I'm super. How are you doing? <laughs> okay, I thought there was more super excited. Just super. That's great. I, I wish I could be super. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of a gloomy day. I'm like ready for autumn and um, harvest season is coming up. So I'm getting excited to just be back on the farm for a few weeks and getting sticky and hanging out with the plants. So everything's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this is not a, a call from the farm. So you're in Toronto right now. Is that correct? I am in Toronto. Um, there's a very good chance the next few episodes may be on location up uh, where the farm is, which is a few hours out of the city. Um, but I think that'll be fun. And hopefully the internet's good. That's, you know, the big concern. Yes, but... yes. I'm not sure if that episode survived, but we did a trial from the farm and it went well. Yeah, the internet was good that day. So I feel <laughs> like it'll be, it's just, it's a little hit or miss, but usually it's a hit. So nice. let's, that'll be fun. Yeah. How are you doing over there in Portland? I'll, I'll give you some ISO wipes to like keep the resin off your lens. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's usually I put a Ziploc bag over the top and the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. That way you can watch Netflix while you uh, are cutting plants down. That's pretty much how it goes. You know, I, I run the gamut of podcasts when I'm working. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's like the lifeline for most workers, agricultural workers. You know, you're just like listening to nonstop podcasts. Hopefully this one for all the other weed workers of the world. And uh, I don't know. I don't find music super soothing when I'm working. I sort of prefer like a droning voice in the background. I'm totally with you. I need that like parasocial relationship where I'm like, oh, I'm hearing a conversation, even if I'm like not butting into it at the moment. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm listening. Uh, music has its, uh, you know, like if I'm on a drive or whatever, sometimes I just got to switch over. But, dude, I'm a total podcast nerd. It was kind of interesting. Like, I feel like in the last 10 years, I've seen the trimming rooms go from like communal entertainment, like Simpsons are playing or somebody's just playing some music, some jam band or whatever to everyone has headphones in. Yes, that I, I am guilty of that. I do really like um, a quiet focus. I mean, the thing is like when you're trimming, I don't know, these days it's a little different, but before it was piecework. So like the more you trimmed, the more you would get paid. So sitting there with your headphones on, not talking really could mean, you know, an extra hundred dollars a day, depending. Um, plus also I've seen every season of, of probably every show, you know, it gets to the point where you're like, okay, we've seen everything. Um, one of my old crews was really into medical dramas. So I've seen like every season of Grey's Anatomy, every season of House, every season of Scrub, like 
every season of every imaginable medical drama to the point where we all were pretty convinced we were doctors, you know? So like, starts to get a little weird. Yeah, but like a Zach Braff level of doctor, you know? Like yeah. nothing too serious. Like if you don't come to me with a broken bone, but if you need some bedside manner, like I'll crack a few jokes. Well, you know, if you get, uh, if you're working with cannabis and then you touch your face, it's very easy to get keef or crystals in your eyes, which burns. It's horrible. Um, and we had a stash of saline in these syringes, you know, like needleless syringes. And so anytime someone would get keef in their eye, we would um, play doctor. <laughs> nice. Actually, that's, that's a great tip. Yeah. And you know, you're a stoner when you start packing your visine into syringes. Yeah, it was definitely kind of one of the highlights of that season was the um the syringes of saline that we had access to. And and you know, that should just be a standard medical kit thing on any farm because you're always gonna at some point you're gonna touch your eye. It's it's a th it's danger. So right, yeah, exactly. And there's not always like a fancy eye washer there. In fact, there yeah, never is. I've never exactly. seen one. Yeah. Or often there's no fake doctors. So lucky for us, we had many fake doctors to um to service the community with the saline beautiful so, yeah <laughs> um well i i mean have you been smoking anything interesting lately or getting into anything you know i um last week was my birthday hey. and Happy birthday. i Thank you. I'm I'm 36, getting up there. Right. And I decided to treat myself to some CBD veppies this week because I actually have a lot of work to do and I don't have time to be super stoned this week or taking my afternoon naps. So I tried two new bevies and they were really bad. Vibe-wise, <laughs> excellent. Flavor wise, horrible. Oh, and yeah. yeah, like burnt, like candle, like a melted mm. candle wax. It was, they're very hard to get down, but once they're in you, great. I felt great. great. Um, cleaned my whole apartment, washed, washed the walls. Like I went all out. Oh, yeah, like washing the walls, level stoned. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's so, one of those projects. Like, don't start it unless you want to finish it, or your walls will have like a deliberate mark where it ends and you just like gave up on the project so hey good for you yeah no I just got to that nice like level of high and just scrubbed the shit out of out of my place um so that was good but I I learned this week something that I I feel like I should have known but didn't know um because I was at the grow up conference on Monday and Tuesday yeah yeah I want to hear all about that it was amazing. Um, probably one of the best conferences I've ever been to. And wow. you, you and I probably both attend a lot of these corporate weed conferences. Um, it was fantastic. It's cool because it was really inspired and started in pre-legalization and has now moved forward. Cool. So a lot of the guests and speakers and reps are just like people, not corporations. And of right. course- they're representing companies, they're representing brands, but they're not these like big multinational, I don't know, it's it's not as corporate as other conferences I've been to. It really felt like a community of people operating in the legal industry. A lot of them were from the legacy market. So it was just like really cool vibes, really cool conversations. Um, yeah, a big topic here right now is can of tourism. 
that's sort of huge on the table because Mm -hmm. our very, very strict regulations are extremely limiting things people can do here. So it's not really making Canada the Canada destination that everyone was thinking it would be when legalization occurred. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, I had been to sort of like gray market shops in Vancouver where you could go in and just like smoke in a coffee shop kind of a thing. And if you needed weed, there was somebody there who was willing to like pass you a business card, right? And it was just easy enough that, you know, tourists had access to it. And that was great. That was like a reason enough for me to go visit the city. And now, um, like here in Portland, there's the Clean Air Act, which is, you know, wreaking havoc and trying to start social lounges, things like that, where uh, employees can't be exposed to secondhand smoke at all. It's just interesting. Um, Yeah. So what are the limitations there um, in your province? Well, we have very similar law. It's called Smoke Free Ontario. And right. it passed a few years ago. And it's the kind of like no smoking indoors, no smoking seven feet from a building. And so it's they even banned smoking on patios at bars. Um, and not just weed, any cigarette smoke is really what the base of the law is for. Sure. Um, so that is a huge implication on cannabis businesses who want to have, you know, consumption lounges is what they're calling them here. And um, so, yeah, we're very limited in what the legal framework can do. But what a lot of folks were saying was that um, the difference between Canada and the states is that Americans are willing to kind of break the laws or work outside. Let's call it working outside of them. Um, instead of what a lot of folks here are doing, which is trying so, so, so hard to work in this very limited framework. Um, and so it's really limited the stuff that we're doing here. Um, I guess what they were kind of saying is like the Americans are taking more chances and putting themselves out there more. And I'm thinking it's because of the legal status of cannabis there um, being still kind of gray, legal in some places, not legal in others, but kind of cool CBDs around. Like, I just feel like it's sort of the environment lends itself to working outside of legal frameworks there. Whereas here, when you're thinking, oh, well, it's totally legal. So let's make it work in that. But it's actually not because we're so, we're so limited. So social spaces aren't legal right now at all. Um, and you know, with the edible limitation of 10 milligrams, that's another huge blow to the consumption community who maybe wants to host like private events or dinners, stuff in bars, um, you know, having cannabis cocktails available. Mm-hmm. It's just become, there's just like so many rules to follow. So a big trend right now is private events. If it's right. a private event, you can kind of do a workaround and sort of serve whatever you like. Um, So that's kind of cool, but that's not super accessible to tourism either. Right. So are you seeing some sort of like private lounges at all where, you know, if you have a membership, then you can go in and smoke inside? No. Yeah, that's too bad. There's (laughs) there's like a handful of those here. Um, I don't think any of them have uh, have really had the success they need to to keep things going. Uh, I know last uh, the world's um, Northwest Cannabis Cafe, I think it was called. Um, 
Northwest Cannabis Club, right? Uh, they were just paying Clean Air Act fines anytime the inspector would come in. And it was just incredibly expensive. And so eventually they just said, okay, you know, hands are up. We can't keep doing this. Uh, so yeah, it's a weird piece of the puzzle uh, for the cannabis industry that I am so surprised is taking so long, right? And, and banking here too, um, you know, federal banks won't touch cannabis. So you're lucky if a credit union wants to do business with you. Uh, And, and that's just so wild. And it leads people to like storing up a year's worth of tax dollars, like in a safe somewhere, also not safe. Um, These are just things that I feel like are really lagging. If we want this industry to be successful, to employ more people to like, Hey, like contribute more taxes. Like I've, seen a lot of talk of like cannabis hotels or cannabis friendly hotels. And I haven't really seen anything like it. You know, I know I've, there's a Jupiter's next hotel here in Portland has like a cannabis friendly patio. And that's pretty progressive considering, you know, that most other hotels will give you a hefty fine for smoking. Yeah. That's actually one of um, the, uh, founder of High B&B was one of the panelists at Grow Up. Okay, um, nice. She's very cool. Um, she was part of the Canada Tourism panel, which yeah, I obviously attended because this is something kind of for the reasons you're listing, like there's no opportunities for employment. And a study just came out, a report just came out that more than a third of dispensaries will be closing this year in Ontario. Um, And so I've been thinking a lot about like people who want careers in cannabis are not being given opportunities to find work, especially with no tourism opportunities and retail being really the only reason for this to be a destination, you're going to come here and go shopping. So, um, yeah, so she was there. High B&B was there. And one of the points that she made was that uh, in the States, one of the most sought after things is uh, cannabis accommodations, cannabis friendly hotels, cannabis friendly um Airbnbs, you know, places people can stay and smoke because it's so still so illegal in most places to smoke in public in the States. Whereas here, what more people are looking for is cannabis experiences because we have no fear of just walking down the street and smoking a joint or going to a park and smoking a joint. Um, we don't need the accommodations. We need the entertainment. So that was like a big difference. And I thought that was, you know, we're, we're neighbors, but it's still, it's just so funny to me to think about that. You know, people are looking for these different things in different countries. Right. Well, and the experience there um, uh, lends itself to enhancing the entire tourism industry. Right. If you can say this coastal town is cool, um, but now it's known for this like specific terroir uh, OG that everyone loves and you go to the beach and there's like pre-roll shops and you just load up and walk the beach and smoke it like, oh, OK, now I know what I'm doing for spring break. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that like there's so many opportunities for that. And then the fact that like the businesses in the psychedelic space might actually beat us to these um experiential lounges is pretty wild right like 
I, I'm all for kicking back in a really safe environment with some like cool music, but I'm also like cool with eating a handful of mushrooms and going to the Meow Wolf installation. And if we can get somewhere in between and I can just go there and get a couple of dabs at the bar, like, great, that's my afternoon. I'm totally down. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up Meow Wolf because like, this is one of the things we're going to talk about today, Canada tourism. Um, you know, I was on a trip to the States this year and I only had a few weeks and Meow Wolf was totally on my list. Um, would I go on psychedelics? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. What, did I have a good time not on psychedelics? Also, yes, that place is very, very cool. Um, so yeah, I want to. We're going to get into that a bit today, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's get there. Like, let's talk a little bit about your trip. I know you just put up the blog post on Colorado, so yes. let's just dive into the market there. What, what did you? And that's probably the best of your trip, right? I would say it was the best of my trip. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's Denver. It's yeah. Colorado. Um, I lived in the States for years, right? So I've I've been to every state except like uh Puerto Rico and yes. Hawaii. I've I've spent at least a week in every state and I have my favorites, Oregon, definitely top three, big cool. fan. Glad I'm here. Um, and when you're talking about smoking pre-rolls down the beach, I immediately go to Manzanita. I love little yep. Manzanita Beach Town, is I I would go there right now, buy a pack of pre-rolls and hang out for the whole day. That's one of my favorite places. And really, I'll just interrupt. I totally double down on that. I think it's great. There's like the tiniest shop there with like the best people and the best products uh, that I was like amazed. I was out on this little coastal town and their shelves were just like full of the best herb. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, it's a really special place. So go out there and don't ruin it. I haven't been there when they had a dispensary. So that's actually really cool. I, you know, I just used to frequent the taco place. Um, and I, I lived on the beach for uh, many years on and off right there. It's one of my favorite places. Um, so yeah, the States has a special place in my heart because I've seen a lot of it and I love really a lot of these little pockets. Um, I have been to Colorado before. So all the places I went on my trip, I've been to before, but this time I was going, you know, looking for some, looking for the weed in a different way. Yeah. Uh, With a critical I'm, eye, yes. A critical eye. I was looking for flavor. I was looking for cool dispensaries. Um, Prior to going to Denver, I was, so I went for a wedding. So I already had stuff that I had to do in places that I like had to be, but I had a solid week to adventure. So I was like, I have got to have a plan because I'm going to hit the best spots. And it was actually surprisingly difficult to find things to do considering Denver is like considered a cannabis tourism destination. Um, there were like a few bus tours that took you to like a glass blowing studio and like a dispensary tour, but none of this really piqued my interest. Yeah. Um, they're not cheap okay. and something about paying for a bus to go to stores. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's, it's good for some people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to miss the adventure. If I was staying in Denver for longer, 
maybe spending a day visiting 10 dispensaries would be great. And you buy something from each one and then you have a week's worth of product and you just enjoy it. But because, you know, my trip was so condensed, it just, that didn't really appeal to me. Um, I saw one bar that sold CBD drinks that I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to check that out. They are not even open yet. So there's stuff on the horizon, but at the moment, 2022, um, the culture of cannabis is very similar Toronto to Denver. It's a retail experience pretty much. Um, so nonetheless, I shortlisted the dispensaries that I was like, I've got to go to these ones. Um, one was, uh, called apothecary farms, two thumbs down, did not enjoy bad vibes all around. Um, yeah, I just wasn't, it, it wasn't very friendly. Okay. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate to say it because I don't expect retail workers to be stoked 24 seven at all. I've worked retail. I don't expect that, but I just wanted, you know, their website really pumped up the shop. So I was just, I was expecting more. It wasn't just the staff. It was the shop. It was the products. It was just the whole vibe. I bought nothing. So I was like, no. And they're one of the top dispensaries in Colorado. So I was like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll say it's an off day, but yeah, I, I hear you on all of that. Yeah. And they mostly were selling um, concentrates, which is fine. Um, but uh, it just wasn't anything super. I don't know. So that place was okay. But luckily for me, cookies is right down the street. So cookies, have you ever been to a cookies? Yeah, I've been to a couple different cookie shops. Yes. Okay. Like where? Oh, here in Portland. Um, and then in uh in LA, I believe. Somewhere okay. on my LA trip, we stopped in at the Jungle Boys and Cookies and checked out all those retail shops. Yeah, I kind of knew what to expect because they're all very similar. Yep. Um, but I'm like, you know, cookies and and in the one in Denver, like Snoop Dogg's been there. So I was like, well, if Snoop Dogg shopped there, I gotta shop here too. <laughs> And they had a like a Snoop Dogg party pack, but of course they were sold out. I mean, yeah, so I'm sure funny. there was a lineup to buy them. I was like ready for it too. Um, yeah, they only sold products in eights, which is okay. I, it was kind of my last day there. So it was like, just had to pick one thing at that point. And I went with the pink rosé, um, caught my eye right away. It was such a light aroma, like and the flavor was amazing and it packed such a punch and I rolled the biggest fatty, ripped it and totally went to Meow Wolf for like nice. three hours. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So was it packed in Mylar or a jar? It was the bags. It was a yeah. Mylar bag. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Do they do jars also? Uh, you know, I have seen eights packed into jars um, around here, but maybe not at the cookie shop. I think it's all Mylar there, which is probably what that like consumer wants. And, uh, you know, I've bitched about mylar in the past i've kind of come around to it i i think if you're especially if you're in a market where you can't look directly at the herb you're going to buy then it's a fair way to kind of like sell your brand yeah that see it really works for you guys because you can advertise cool stuff on the packages we use mylar here but you can't actually put anything on the bag so it's generally just like a block of color, a teeny tiny little logo and like a little description. So it's mm -hmm. really a waste here. We do sell a lot of stuff in jars, but 
They're actually often not recyclable because they use a lot of colored glass here. That's like um, you'll pick anyway. It's yeah, it's a whole thing. But um, cookies, ten out of ten. 10 out of 10. And once I got back to Toronto, they had just opened a flagship store here. So I'm thinking of checking it out, you know, one of these days. Um, yeah, do please do. I'd love to compare uh, the cultivars on the shelves there to what we have here, you know, because they're going to have their signature clone only cultivars and who knows how they um, are sharing those or making that happen. Uh, but they have, right? And it would be interesting to see what's uh, what's on the shelves for which market, you know? Absolutely. Uh, these huge brands, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a report that just came out, or it was not a report, actually. It was a, a an SOP from a Florida dispensary that was leaked. And it basically said the higher THC flower will be shelved in the back and the lower THC flower will be put out first. And everyone's like, well, what the hell? You're like purposely selling us mids. And it's like, well, kind of, yeah, because if we put the 30 percenters out there, the, that market there is, is really new and still learning that THC is not everything. See our last, our first episode. Um, and so that's what all they're buying. And then the really nice 22% herb just sits there and oxidizes and gets old. And so they're, it's now like, okay, hey, let's clear this out. And then we can put the higher stuff on the shelves, um, which does feel kind of punishing to a, a you know, a, a consumer that's only chasing THC. And I agree. It's like maybe not the best way to like make your dispensary look great by like holding back the good stuff and letting that oxidize and get older. Um, the good stuff. Uh, finger quotes for anyone who's listening to the podcast. Uh, but you know, that, that was that people were pretty mad about it, but I guess from like a dispensary manager point of view, I, I get it. Huh. I'm going to have to digest that a little bit. Cause I, I just feel like when with so many dispensaries to choose from, if I go to one and I can only find, and I want a high THC and I can only find low probably won't go back again. If I go to one and I find a high THC and its quality has been degraded, I probably won't go back. So I feel like as a connoisseur, which not everyone is, but people are going to notice, uh, uh, people are learning quality. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that's a good business move. It's a, certainly an interesting choice and one approach to take, but I probably wouldn't go back in either scenario right well and i have seen firsthand that there are at least here in oregon so many options of what to do with your flower right if it's really top tier then sell it at the market for a top tier price right graded appropriately if it's getting old fire sale it off somewhere pre-packed ounces uh if it's doesn't look very pretty and the dispensaries don't want to buy it, but it tastes amazing. Put it into some pre-rolls, right? If it doesn't taste very great and smokes a little wonky, like, but the flavor is pretty nice, make some edibles with it. Like there's a million ways to kind of grade those pounds and treat them appropriately. So when I see someone doing some kind of like dumb back of the napkin math that's like hide the THC percentages until lower is sold. And it, it bums me out because it really does not respect the consumer. 
And, it, and for the most part, it's just like, okay, this is what we'll do to, I, I, I don't even want to say maximize profits because you're right. Like you're degrading your customer loyalty when you do moves like that. You know, and this actually touches on something I learned at Grow Up this week, which was around R&D, like research and development of products. And, you know, I've come on a few episodes so far and talked about tasty bevies. You know, I love my bevy category. And, you know, today I talked about one that was not so good. And what I learned this week is that um, Canadian companies will have the licensing to manufacture something like an edible gummy drink. It doesn't matter. Edible category. And they'll be able to produce them, formulate, produce, put them on the shelves. But you need a separate license for tasting the product, which no. is a yeah, yeah, yes, this is absolutely real. And all this time, I think it was last week, I went off about how, how could anyone say this was a tasty thing? Like this tasted so, so, so horrible. And it's because no one was allowed to try it before it went to market. This is real. This is a real thing. And it what I it finally makes sense. Like at least I had like this. Oh man, this makes so much sense. Why these products are disgusting and (laughs) horrible? It's because no one tried them. Oh, I just imagine the like flavor scientists or the creator that like did the math on the product uh like waiting at the like local dispensary for the product to hit the shelf so they could try it the first time and go oh damn it and run back to the drawing board for the next round yeah and uh, you know uh, this always comes up because it's always something that i think about and that is like like product moqs like how the minimum order quantities on things like cans or packaging or shrink wrap or any of these things, right? And often you're ordering them 50,000 at a time, right? Usually more because, you know, the more you order, the cheaper you get and everyone's trying to maximize their profits here. Um, So anytime you have to like say, oh, you know, we're not using Yuzu anymore. We're using Tangerine. It's like trash all those labels, right? And like literally trash them, put them in the trash. They're not usually recycled for anything. Um, So it's a bummer anytime that those types of things have to just be like part of the process of creating the product or like, Hey, we've changed the regulations. So all of your labels have to change. It's like, that's, that's a big ship to like start turning around and printing off more labels. So anyway, yeah, I'm or thinking about that. you know, having to take an entire product that you've spent months formulating completely off the market like i imagine this breezy peach basil that i had last week that really just was so so foul um is just they're gonna sell what they have and then they're never gonna produce it again because it obviously didn't clear customers tastes and it didn't really make sense as a flavor um because it didn't nothing the distillate wasn't masked none of the flavors were masked and so it ended up being this very waxy disgusting overall effect. Um, And I think it's a huge detriment to customers as well. This is another example of the industry not really putting customers first. Um, And it's not the brand's fault in this case. It's working under this legal framework that we have where no one's tasting anything until it's already gone to market. 
Um, and that's actually why I believe a lot of American brands, like some of the beverages that I like, like some of the flour and especially edibles are really some of the biggest brands on the Canadian market right now are coming from the States. Yeah, it was really interesting to see that um, 18 of the top 15 uh, multi-state operators here, eight of the top 15 uh, had originated here in Oregon. So, you know, it was one of those early, like easy to license type markets where everyone kind of came and it became like a really nice incubator. Um, so it's cool to see the, some of the quality stuff spreading far and wide, right? And not just from people shipping them because they like wild gummies or whatever. And that's the thing, you know, Wild's a great example. They have great branding. They're everywhere. If you ever attend an event, they're always got a table there. They always give out samples of their non-infused products, which is like a nice little snacky. Well, here they can't give out infused, so they do non-infused. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I think they bit. do that everywhere. I have not, uh, it's maybe Hall of Flowers will give you like a package, but they're not like just handing out the milligrams. Yeah, so same, but it always tastes good. And, you know, they've really developed their products. So when you try the uninfused sample, it's so comparable to the infused sample. You're not shocked with this like gross flavor afterwards. And they've just had the opportunity to work in a completely different legal framework to craft a really quality consumer product that Canadian brands are just not getting the opportunity to do unless they want to just put a millions into getting these R&D licenses, which eventually they will have to do to compete with American brands who already have everything locked down, formulas on lock, flavors on lock to the point where they're coming up with new ones that are equally as successful as their classics. Yeah, I, I think we're in almost like a third wave of can of beverages here because uh, early on we saw just like people messing with things, poorly emulsified soda waters, ginger beers, that kind of thing. It was really like kind of homespun. Uh, and then bigger brands like Lagunitas down in California like took it and ran with it with their, um, it's like a hop water, I believe, that's got a, a THC percentage. So, you know, very, it's like a beer analog. Um, and since then, the a lot of the competitors that then have died off and kind of overestimated like the beverage consumption market. And now we're seeing those numbers like really climb as consumers are like building awareness on this product category, getting super excited about it. And now people like can, like you, which you've talked favorably about in the past, can come in and say, great, we've got this like lemon lavender flavor. We know that it works. We can source our cannabinoids in a way that where they're not going to impart these like awful flavors that distillate can do or, or like poorly, I don't know, cleaned distillate can do. Um, and then they've got a successful product that's just like ready for a market that's hungry for it. So I think it's just going to be something we see more and more of. Can is all over the shelves here. They're still one of my top go-to bevies. Um, <clears throat> they've just really done well with their flavors. And I've also been to events where they're handing out samples of non-infused. And again, the non-infused tastes exactly like the infused. You're not surprised when you get home and open the package. It's exactly what you were expecting. If it says lemon lavender, that's what you're going to get. This, uh, this week I tried like a guava, 
a guava and something else. Um, it was a 20 to one CBD to THC. So oh, really, okay. And I, this is what got me through my, uh, my crazy house cleaning. Um, but yeah, it was a 20 to one. So I was like, Oh, that's kind of nice. Um, and I, it did not taste like guava. There was no fruit. There was not, there was absolutely <laughs> nothing in there. Oh. It just did like, um, slightly carbonated candles. It was, it was so, so, so yeah. bad. Right. Um, and I'm just, now I know it's because they're Canadian and limited in their tasting and testing. Um, and so it's just kind of, it's interesting because, um, when I was at Grub, that was the panel I was participating in was the tasting and testing panel. And that was one of the big questions that came up was people really want to know, um, if there's any easy way to get through, to be able to do those types of processes on their products. Um, and I was sitting there with another rep, um, uh, Sherry from Can Delta. She's very cool, very knowledgeable, knows everything about the legal side of cannabis. So we were like a, it was a good panel. Um, there was a, another cannabis sommelier on the panel and, uh, and just everyone just had a really great perspective on tasting and testing. But the things that Sherry was saying was just, I, I had no idea that, these brands were having to go through so much. And the other tasting category is the cannabis tasting category, which because of these non-smoking laws and these strict relations on smoking from Health Canada, on top of um, the tasting R&D regulations, they're the number of brands that have indoor or outdoor tasting facilities is like three. Yeah. That's nuts it's so crazy to me that you can approve have a product i'm leaning in here you can have a product let's hear it something be illegal forever and you finally legalize it but you say but you can't taste it and you can't test it how how did that legal framework ever make it through to the end there is no tasting or testing on that either. We're lacking. This it's it's so weird. It's it's almost meant to be punitive because you cannot tell a farmer who's been out there watching the tomatoes develop from a little seed or a clone into these big, beautiful heirlooms and not taste it. You know what I mean? It's going to drive their decisions, but it's also like the fruit of their labor. So let them get in there and, you know, there, there are certain um, quality control samples you can take here and separate those out in, uh, in metric. It's not something where you can just go break a branch and enjoy it, at least not legally. So um, it, it, it's kind of interesting to see that it's like it's a little bit easier here, maybe a lot easier, but it's still a pain in the ass. Right. Um, and I, I think you know, at, at least in Canada, this might be more successful where you have a, a flavor house with the, the right licenses and you can go to them and say, hey, develop these five products for me. And then I'm going to make sure I'm using my extracts or concentrates to whatever parameters you give us to create these products. Then, hey, maybe you have a better chance of success. Um, the spaces I've seen like that here in Oregon are really more of like an incubator where a bunch of businesses might come in and have uh, someone kind of uh, process their 
their products for them. Like an edible company might say, hey, um, this commercial kitchen, you guys are much better at doing this than we are. We don't want to mess with the hiring and firing and everything. We just produce our cookies for us. And they'll do some development, but it's not it's not really their main gig. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I've seen those kind of models be successful on a small scale. But I think that it, it might take some of these like larger Lagunitas types to create successful products that are like really hit the market in a way where you're where everyone is happy. Yeah, I think there's some and, you know, it actually there were some pros and cons of this whole situation. Um, the con is that if we can't taste and test our products, we're going to have shit products on the market. Um, for us Canadians, we're not going to be able to compete in a global cannabis marketplace under our legal framework. We're holding back on tourism. We're holding back on all these money makers that people want, the jobs that people want. Um, but we're not even able to take it that step further, which is testing the experience of the product, right? Like at this point, we're just talking about flavor. We're not even talking about studying the true effects of the thing that has all these amazing effects on the body. So we can't, step one is like, we can't even taste it. Step two is like, what is it even doing, right? We need further testing. We need more opportunities. So this is, you know, a future forward moment. This is probably what's going to press um, people who are really enthusiastic about activism and reshaping legal laws. And I'm I'm fully there. I'm totally behind all this stuff. Um, and so there's this whole side of things here. For us, you and I, this is actually kind of a nice position to be in because the one thing we can do is smell the thing and talk about the smell. So I actually felt very positively um, at the end of that because um, it's the one thing people can and are doing. There you go. This is all <laughs> fucked up, but my nose works. So, hey, there's the, the silver lining. You know, the silver lining is that as of right now, smell is and continues to be the big differentiator between different strains and different um, products on the market. And so for folks who are really enthusiastic about aroma, this is our moment to shine. Um, and, you know, part of my presentation um, on the tasting and testing panel was talking a lot about this cannabis as a constellation and that there's ways we can describe the aroma that allude to its effects that allude to the experience without overstepping any legal framework or making any claims you know we can instead of saying something is stimulating we could throw it into is it maybe it's cheerful Right. There's other cool adjectives. There's other cool vibes that we can start presenting to products. So I felt really good about that side of things. And, you know, a lot of talk about terpenes at the grow up to a lot. A lot of people are so curious and looking for resources to learn more, especially like um, like a lot of brands and growers you know, and, you know, for folks like us who have done growing and have experience on farms, but also have experience on the more sommelier side of things, some people don't have that depth of experience and they just really grow really good weed, but might not have the uh, vocabulary to back it up in terms of describing its aromas. Oh, absolutely. And, and I find it's more difficult being surrounded by a hundred plants all day, every day, smelling them from when it just smells like soil 
or rock wool or whatever you're using to the point where the flower is developing, you're getting all those like super early scents to breaking it down because your nose is not necessarily trained to be like, what's the most enjoyable notes of this? It's like, is there mold going on here? It has there uh, enough moisture left this plant that I can seal it up in the way that I want to, right? Uh, oh, why, why is this plant smell different than the other one? They were right next to each other. It's the same strain. Like your, your brain is like geared to find issues in the products that you need to, you know, survive. Meanwhile, we're over here on the like hedonistic end of the spectrum where we're like, ooh, grape and cream, uh, which is nice because I, I do feel like you need both of those things, especially for a top tier product, right? Um, and the cool thing for us and for people like us is we're in the very early stages of still defining what these things are, right? I mean, the French perfume, perfume movement took hundred years to assign and create some of these words that are now like like mo like modern jargon for perfume makers who who use this stuff on a daily basis uh so that that's cool like we're we're creating what will eventually be standardized um but still is all over the place absolutely um and we have a long way to go especially when we go into more nuanced aromas like terroir and trying to discover regional smells and flavors. Uh, and that's something that people are really, really keen on. But in order to see the differences, the subtle differences and identify those by the region, we need a base profile to sort of work off of. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that still needs to be done in cannabis, the study of cannabis aromatics to get us there. But as of right now, it's sort of all a lot of people can do. So I'm really hoping that uh, that my my portion of the panel was inspiring to the LPs that were in the crowd. And they're really keen on bringing in some aroma nerds to really take a hard look at some of their products and start to differentiate some of the more quality aromatics to some of the sort of more average products. Mm -hmm. And we can bringing in some new stuff. Yeah. So. And hey, check it out. If you are a producer and you have the benefit of being able to inform your consumers about what you feel the flavor notes are right now, if you do a good job with that, you can increase the price of your pound of your product easily just by conveying that little bit of information that you would find on the back of a coffee bag, right? cherries, stone fruit, uh, barnyard. Boom. Right. Oh, Hey, when I'm getting my nose in this, I'm getting those three easily connectable, conveyable scents. Barnyard's kind of vague. So no one's going to call you out on it. If it's not totally there, cherry is though. So don't fuck that one up. But if you do that and you can communicate to the buyer, this, this is the profile you're looking for. And this is the experience that you should expect boom, you can now charge more for your product just by better communicating what the consumer or the buyer can expect. So, I mean, multiply that by a hundred strains and like, hey, you just bought yourself a new boat. It's easy to uh, bring on someone who does sensory analysis for a living or is really good at it or has a way with words uh, to do that, you know? And it, it kind of goes against what we were saying about eroding your customer's trust. 
because in that way you're like, you're making a pal like, Oh, Hey, we had a connection. I did sip that espresso and get cedar wood out of it. Holy cow. So if you told me that, and then I found it, okay, now I know I'm going to go back to like Roseline coffee because they get me and I get them. Absolutely. I love that. And that's, uh, Hopefully next steps, you know, it's going to be a long winter. So we have a lot of time for <laughs> all these LPs to just huff away and start to, you know, bring in the p- right people to get those profiles going, because that is 100% true. And that is what kind of is going to make the difference and bring a standout product to the market more so than our, you know, the past THC percentages that people loved so much. Yeah. And, you know, Select has made a uh, a really huge brand from just having super clean packaging. It looks like something that your mom would pick up from the dispensary on her first trip there. And I think there are some brands that would really benefit using that to their advantage, being in that space, saying, you know, really pleasant things about the pink rosé instead of trying to put like a a dripping bubble letter cartoon on the front of the package here in the States, right? Exactly. Because that's what I'm saying. Exactly that. Um, You know, the other thing I wanted to talk about today was um, another one of those legalization versus non-legalization moments, Canada versus the U.S. here. Um, Because (laughs) yes, I was in Colorado on my trip, but I was also in some non-legalized states. And as much as I can critique legalization, um, what I also learned was how vastly it improves the quality of everything related to cannabis across the board. It makes legalization. I didn't have, um, I didn't have such an appreciation for it until I entered the non-legalized States. And I've been in the States. I worked in California. I always had California cannabis on me, even in non-legal States, you know, you just stash it right. We won't talk about that. But anyway, we go into these non-legalized states now and I'm there in a different mindset. I'm there looking for products. I want to see what they're selling, what's on the market. Obviously, Colorado had some of, you know, the cookies and the other dispensaries. I had a great time there. Mostly high THC, by the way. That's why I'm thinking of this. That's still kind of their thing in the smaller spots. That's okay. But then a hop, skip and a jump to Tennessee, West Virginia and Pennsylvania. There we go. Was- totally different markets. <laughs> The other half of my trip, I actually flew into Tennessee and my my goal was to immediately go to a dispensary. So as soon as I got there, I found one minutes from the airport um, in Nashville. And the thing is, non-legalized states are selling cannabis. They have dispensaries. They have these shops. They're everywhere, but they're not selling weed at all. What they're selling is synthetic weed. Oh, oh, shivers down my spine. Yes. And synthetic weed looks like weed, kind of tastes like weed, costs the same and comes in the same packaging. And you would really never know that it wasn't actually weed. So this is sort of the dark side of, you know, what's happening down South here. When I flew in, I found this dispensary and it was like THCO, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. I've been hearing about this 
all over social media. They're calling it the psychedelic cannabinoid. They're calling it um, stronger than THC. They're calling it um, one of the minors. Like, you know, we would consider a CBG or a CBN. They're putting it in that category. And I'm thinking to myself, how in a decade have I never come across this? How in uh, the past decade of smoking and working and being in this industry and legalization in Canada, it's not in any dispensaries, like that's so weird. And I'm not really making this connection that it's not here because it's not real. <laughs> yeah. We, we sell real weed here. That is the main perk of legalization. And so THCO, THCP, THCV, or they're all over the states in these non-legalized, um, non-legalized states. But it's basically uh, these synthetic cannabinoids that they extract from like a Delta Eight variant, um, from legal hemp, and then they do this like molecular scientific process called isomerization, and then they add this chemical to it, which they actually use to make explosives, yeah. um, and then they form it into this crude oil, which is then the hemp flower is then dipped into. Oh, yum! And that is what THCO is hemp flour dipped in this crude oil that has never been proven to be safe for human consumption. Um, but the thing is, it's flavorless and odorless. So when you purchase, when I purchased THCO flour, cause I, I did, I did I buy mean, You got to do the science when you're there. I, I like to do the science. So I bought some and it smelled lemony. It was a little artificial, but I'm like, you know, sometimes terpenes come off as artificial. And at that point I didn't actually know what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I did the research when I got back to where I was staying, but, uh, they're adding botanical terpenes. So that any aroma you're getting off of it is just added terpenes to make it seem more like what it's supposed to be, which wow. is cannabis um so yeah dipped in terpenes dipped in this crude oil and it's super toxic um you know none of these companies that are producing it are willing to put any research um to back up their claims and essentially what we have in non-legalized states right now is a better marketed version of spice oh and and i people who would completely avoid spice uh, are, are smoking this stuff because it's what's available to them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember when THCO uh, was hitting like the, the news wire, like when it was going out and people were saying it's 10 to 26 times stronger than uh, normal THC. Um, that's, that's debatable. We'll see. Right. Uh, but a friend uh, shared uh, an article about how uh, at high temperatures, like dabbing and smoking temperatures, THCO acetate can convert into uh, basically oil, right? And the issues with the whole vape scare from a couple of years ago were these vaporized oils just wrecking people's lungs. And so they were saying like products like that do have those same kinds of risks. And so it is a real bummer that they're using these essentially legal loopholes 
to sell a hemp product and then be like, but we zhuzhed it up a little bit with some converted molecules. It's like gross. Like you are smoking spice at that point, right? Even if there was a Kool-Aid man on the front of the pack. That's exactly what it is. It's a legal loophole. The 2018 Farm Bill banned any products over, is it 0.3, 0.03? Yeah, either 0.3 or 0.03. I forget. I want to say 0.3 because that sounds more generous. So it's probably 0.03, which is insane. So anything, basically anything with any level of THC is banned. Um, And so because this doesn't actually contain any THC, um, it's legal and that it's, it's legalized poison is essentially what it is. Legalized poison. Um, and so it's crazy to me that this farm bill would pass to allow people something far more dangerous than the actual sun grown, lovingly grown cannabis itself. Um, and these synthetic cannabinoids are being sold everywhere. Right. And, and oftentimes with a, a label that says like not for consumption or something like that, like for sold as incense or sold as novelty or, you know, something along those side lines. Um, and, you know, just like back in the day, we would go to the head shop and everything would say for tobacco use only. And it's like right. giant bubbler. Right. Yeah. And so it's, um, that was very scary. And to me, that's like another reason to push legalization across the board in the States. You know, we're seeing California introduce bills that, um, are directly aimed at exporting cannabis. And I think not even just to other States, but just over state lines. And then like, Hey, if, if we need to sell it to Thailand or Germany or wherever, uh, Great. And even if those first few bills fail, like we know, like it's, this is happening. This is going to happen. Uh, everyone's too excited about it. And you're very right to be thinking about the the future market and what Canada could be doing to be at the forefront of it instead of lagging. Right. And I think, you know, because it seems to be everyone's concern that uh, like addiction or cannabis use is going to be like a, a problem if we make these um, laws a little more lenient, like, oh, okay, then we can work around that, right? And we can contribute to those foundations and systems and uh, programs, right? That can That can help people with addiction. Sure, great, let's do that. Like, what's the alternative? People are smoking THCO. You know, that's the alternative where it's like in action, this thing. And there was like, I think in the news in Connecticut, a hundred deaths or almost deaths related to synthetic cannabinoids. Like it's in the news, it's in the media, it's totally poison. I, I smoked it. I tried a little bit just for a little flavor. I tried spice too, back in 2012 when everyone had that circulating around, you know, for science, for science, but you know, it's disgusting and it's people are smoking it every day. Green was one little hoot just to see what the heck is this thing? What does it taste like for other people? That's access to what they consider their cannabis medicine. Um, and California and Canada, you know, NorCal, we have the Emerald Triangle, Humboldt County, world renowned 
place destination for cannabis here with BC, obviously BC bud. It's a huge thing. Everyone in the world knows about it. You have your, you know, Moroccan hash, you know, there's Amsterdam, but there's these places that have the thing and they want to share it, but it's still circulating. It's getting around, but through black markets. So we might as well just bring it all together, just accept the reality. And I think this California law is awesome because I heard from a friend who lives in the Netherlands that a big thing there is actually selling popular strains from Canada and the States at a premium. Ah, nice. So like if I went to Amsterdam, I would say what's local. I want to try the local flavor. But if you live in Amsterdam or the Netherlands or in the area, you would go and say, what have you brought in from North America? Do you have any California strains? Do you have any Canadian strains? And they're selling like a gram for like 45 bucks or more. Like crazy, crazy prices on like the classics, like Girl Scout cookie, Northern Lights, the whole nine. So you could also, you know, I guess if you're an expat, you can get a little taste of home. Uh, for, for <laughs> that's like the $12 Mountain Dew I think I paid for uh, in Amsterdam in you know, 2002 <laughs> or whatever. It's like, whoa, you have that here? How much is it? Who cares? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, hey, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, as soon as I'm feeling like a little um, cookies out or whatever, um, I- I'm surprised by the flavors I've been gravitating toward these days tend to be more of that profile, maybe with a little okay. like chem funk thrown in there. Um, I don't know. Th- those flavors always are super potent to me. So that's what I've been gravitating towards lately. Um, but yeah, I-, I mean, weed is a global phenomenon. There are localized cultures that we should celebrate by doing more than just like putting humble on the front of a mylar. Um, if you want these like experiences for tourism, like they're there. You have to be like an adventurous Amanda who's like wants to go to all 50 states and be like, okay, who's got the underground Airbnb in Alaska that's going to let me like chief joints? It's like, cool like that's available that's a lifetime memory right there but like can we go to like letting these places like open up and advertise and there's like a fat joint for you like laying on your pillow at night and it says like you know sleepy time tea um grown by farmer whoever up the road um we're so close to that we really are so it's I I think it's kind of fun, like time capsuling this episode and listening to it in a few years and being like, we have all of those things now. Like people are smelling the weed before they sell it and tasting the drinks before they hit the market. And I can book an Airbnb that is like in the middle of a pot farm. And I learned about it from a flyer at the airport when I touched down. Yeah. You know, can't wait for the um, build a beverage store where I could just go in. Oh, yes. Make myself my little infused bevy six pack to go and uh, keep the vibes rolling. You know, I um, Toronto just opened uh, a dispensary in Union Station. Union Station is our like transportation hub. Um, It's like right in the core of Toronto. So like if you're taking a bus in or if you're taking a train or whatever, this is like the main, it's huge. It's like beautiful. It kind of actually looks like my wallpaper. It's just like, it's got a vibe. It's ginormous. And so this is like a transportation hub of our city. And it just opened its first dispensary, which of course I went on opening day. Cause I was like, heck yeah, I got to see this, you know, cause um, those are the things that make 
places cannabis tourist destinations like landing in Colorado and them having a dispensary in the airport at Denver International Airport. I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. Of course, my flight was delayed. Of course, I didn't get to go in because it was past midnight when I got there. Oh, I'm but sorry, I, but that's I, very cool. Put it on the list for next time. Yes. Next time I fly in, I'm definitely going there. Um, but, you know, like places like that, we don't have that here. Toronto International Airport, it's, I want to say it's even bigger than Denver, not trying to throw any shade. Maybe they're comparable, but it's big. Where the heck is the dispensary when you land here? Union Station, great first start. So, like, yeah, things are definitely. Uh, okay, if I can go to the airport and drink six Bloody Marys at 8.30 in the morning, and then there, there's also a little, like, outdoor smoking lounge, it's, like, fenced in and through security or whatever, please, can we just put the dispensary right there? And I, you know, I'll sign a piece of paper that says I'm not leaving the premises with this. Yeah. Sure. And I'll sit there and I'll, my flight can be delayed till tomorrow. I'll just smoke joints. That's great plug my phone in and watch Netflix. And like, that would be a, a pretty nice airport experience. And I promise you, I'm going to cause less fights than if I drank six Bloody Marys. <laughs> I'm going to buy more magazines and snacks. And yeah. I'm going to be a docile little sleepy guy on the plane that you don't have to worry about. You don't, probably don't even have to pour me a beverage because I'm snoozing at that point. Right. It's a long-term money saver. Listen, my flight was delayed and I was flying, I think Nashville to Denver and they did have a smoking room, but obviously it's Nashville. It wasn't for weed. You can't smoke weed in there. But I was like, man, I have a lot of time to kill here and no weed Oof. and no, nothing to do. It was just like, it's, it sucked. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm not a drinker at all. So I just had to sit there and, you know, wait there. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And, you know, I always, if I'm at the airport, typically have a vape on me, separate the battery, separate the cartridge, keep them away from each other, combine them again. Mm. Hey, you're in good shape, right? If there is like an, an area out there where you can step out and catch a puff or two, no one seems to ever mind that you're out there with your little vape because people tend to have these monster vapes now that are, are much more obtrusive. Um, and so, you know, getting high at the airport is already nice. <laughs> let's, let's make it a whole thing and encourage people to buy cupcakes on the other side, you know, exit yeah. the gift shop kind of a thing. That's totally the vibe. Okay. Listen, as soon as they open an airport smoking spot, you and me, we're going to fly there. I don't care where it is. We're going. I'm down. I'm going to set my Google alerts and on the cheapest flight I can grab, yeah. I'll meet you there. Yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to meet there. We're just going to rip a bunch of, you know, dank ange, and then we're just, we're just going to go home. It's just going to be like a little quick hangout. And then, cause we got it. That's yeah, the it's a visiting but... one of uh, Guy Fieri's restaurants. Like you're not going to find that anywhere, but you're at a weird restaurant somewhere. You're like trash can nachos. This is the one time I can eat those. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's what it is. And it'll be just like every other uh, first time weed experience I go to where I go, oh, oh, I've got something better than this at home, but the experience is nice. <laughs> but we'll be stoned when we're flying back. That's what matters. Right? <laughs> and I think we did a pretty good job of covering everything today. Um, I'd like to like get into the smoke spot, let, uh, let Tom give us his delivery here and then we can move on. Um, so this is Tom Different. 
with his favorite smoke spot from from back in the day. And I encourage anyone who's listening, hit up uh, Amanda or I and give us a little voice recording of your favorite smoke spot. Maybe it's back in the day. Maybe it's, you know, where you first fell in love with cannabis. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's the, an alcove at work that you can get out to and it's just behind the cameras and you can smoke there and no one's up your uh, pants <laughs> about getting back to work. Uh, so uh, here's Tom and then we'll come back and close out the show. Hey Amanda, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today and letting me share my favorite smoking spot with you guys. Uh, my favorite smoking spot actually has a little bit of nostalgia to it because it's a spot where I always used to smoke when I was a teenager uh, and that is my rooftop back home in Germany. Uh, I always was hiding away from my parents and my neighbors and like anyone who I didn't wanted to know that I'm smoking weed because cannabis was still illegal in Germany back then and yeah so I was hiding away we had huge trees around our garden so I was really uh, covered and hidden away especially I was always blazing uh, at night so I was just sitting in the darkness on my rooftop surrounded by trees and yeah that's one of the reasons why uh, from these days on I just always love blazing on the rooftop even in my apartment here in Victoria right now I can even climb on the roof as well and I do that uh, quite frequently actually because it's a really lovely sunset from here and because each time I smoke on a rooftop it just brings back the good old memories of smoking weed when it was still illegal back home in Germany and yeah I can't wait to travel home one day uh, to smoke back on my roof again and yeah thanks so much guys for having me share this little experience with you so that was awesome. Um, me and Tom are colleagues, you know, he's one of a, a, a naming cannabis here in Canada. And um, I think what I love most about his smoking spot is that it hits on what we've been talking about. Cannabis is international. His favorite spot is his home in Germany. And that has memories for him. You know, this plant has no borders. And I also just think it's so nice that like a lot of the smoking spots we've been sent are people's secret smoking spots from when they were younger, like their parents' roof. And I just love that. Oh, yeah. And like right now, if you're a parent, go check the roof. It's probably littered with roaches. And uh, yeah, hey, if your kid is smoking THCO, introduce them to better herb when yeah. they're of an appropriate age, please. Completely agree. <laughs> well, I guess that's it for today. Yeah, give us like your contacts. How do we get a hold of you? Okay, so actually, yeah, this week's been exciting. I got a new blog post on my website. It's emeraldtempleliving.com. And I wrote a bit about my trip to Colorado and some of the flavors and cannabis I tried there. And also there's a blog post about my visit to the International Church of Cannabis, which we didn't really get a chance to talk about today, but it's so cool. And I wrote about it in a vibrant description. And I also have a really in-depth post about THCO. So definitely jump on my website, check out the blog, um, and check out some of my posts about my trip to the States. Awesome. Yeah. And look me up for my cannabis reviews and my like daily espressos and my story posts on Instagram. Um, I'm at the loud 100 and, uh, you know, Amanda and I are both pretty shadow bands. So you probably have to type in the whole 
name to find us. It's fun being in cannabis on social media these days. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, did you give your tag already? Um, it's at emerald.temple.living. Nice. And if you need to find the podcast, we're at the dot smoking spot. Find yes. us there. We're adding content on the weekly and uh, expect another episode next week. Come join us then. Oh, smoke it up, yes. pull it down and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find your smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot.